Welcome to the Huff and Stuff podcast, where common sense is being brought back to our society one episode at a time. Relax. Turn your radio and headphones up. The show starts in three, two, one. Welcome back to the Huff and Stuff podcast. I am your host, Nick Costeller, coming to you from the Palmetto State, South Carolina. Recording this episode a couple days after Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, ate a lot of food, ate a lot of turkeys, outlaws, in-laws come together. Hopefully there was no domestics, no fights. If you did get locked up, send me your mugshot and send us the story. I will share it on the Instagram page. Uh, very excited about today's episode. Like I said in the last episode I recorded with the holidays, I'm going to start recording some episodes with people who inspire me, family, friends who mean a lot to me. And I think today you will be inspired by the guest I have today. One of the most strongest people I know. Her story is a story of survival, of fighting, and um, I think you'll really be impressed with who I have today. So without further delay, I'm going to introduce her to y'all. Her name is Scarlett Casper Bauer. Some of y'all may previously know her before her married to Scarlett Loops. If you know her, you love her. Scarlett, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, we've been trying to get this together for a little while, so I texted her the other week and she said she was ready, so I'm not going to take away from her story here in just a minute. Um, I'll let her tell your tell y'all her story and uh, like I said you're you're really going to be impressed with what she's got to say I think you'll all be uh, get something out of it and something we can all relate to so again thank you for being on the podcast all right before we start I got a question for you uh-oh do you put your shopping carts back yes I do is that a pet peeve of yours it wasn't until you made it one <laughs> now do you notice all the shopping carts in the parking lot yes now? yes and it's it's just it's like, just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Rerack your weights, put your shopping carts yep. back. Simple stuff. People still don't do it. Yep. It's, it. I'm finding two or three. I usually put them back myself. All right. couple current events. That's what we usually do here. I'm going to um, read over some of these, get your take on it, and we'll go from there. Sounds good. All right. Big headline in the news right now, Moscow, Idaho. The University of Idaho, four college kids were found stabbed to death in their off-campus home. Two roommates survived. There's no signs of forced entry. Uh, from what I have read to the research on a couple hours prior to this, there was a couple who reported their dog had been skinned. Um, maybe affiliated with this, there were no signs of sexual assault. Um, Scarlett, what's your take on it? I don't know. As soon as I read it, the first thing that I thought about was Ted Bundy. I don't know if it's because of the college or if it's the fact that no one heard anything, no one saw anything until, you know, when they went to look for them. Yeah. And Ted Bundy kind of did the same thing. That was my first thought. Um, and then I think I saw in one article that uh, either the mayor or the governor, someone had stated that this was a, a lover's quarrel or a lover's triangle or something along those lines. And I thought, that's kind of odd because I didn't really get that. Yeah. But uh, it's it's definitely very interesting that there's no signs, there's no evidence, and the weapon was taken from the scene. Yeah. 
what stuck out in my mind first um, was the two college kids that didn't hear anything. Right. And doing the research, I guess they came out and said this apartment was more, more of a party house. And there's been videos of all the four college kids coming back to the apartment around 145. That's when everybody was together. Um, they have now weeded out the two college roommates who were there and did not wake up. Um, they did say that one of the students appeared to fight back, which is a good thing. Um, Defensive wounds. Yeah, no signs of sexual assault, but there was no forced entry. So it makes you want to know, you know, was this a party? Somebody they brought back home with them. But right now they have no suspect. Um still on the crime scene there so I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with this it's kind of it's got me on the edge of my seat now that i've been looking into it what you think i think that's the detective in you yeah it's going to be great <laughs> anything else on that i don't think so i did not know about the dog I, the articles that i read i didn't see anything about that yep. so that's something i'm gonna specifically go back and look at they did because that's very interesting to me yeah they did say the stab wounds were something um kind of consistent with like an old bayonet like war type rambo type knife so it you never know it's uh i'm going to keep up with that we'll keep y'all posted on the next episode so stay tuned for that watch out for a fruit cake running around with a bayonet <laughs> that's right all right uh, according to Fox News, concealed carry permits have increased by 2.3% in 22 compared to last year, despite more states passing constitutional carry. Um, we're seeing in the, a lot of these states now are starting to do constitutional carry where you do not have to have a permit to carry. Uh, according to the stats, there is currently 22.01 million permit carriers in the United States. It's a lot of gun-toting citizens. And uh, a lot of people still passionate about a Second Amendment. What's your take on it? I have my concealed carry, and I definitely believe that it should be something we're able to do it's as our right. Sure. Um, I know when we travel, one of the first things I look up is what is that state's policy on other states' CWPs. Um, you know, I think that is something that. America is it's trying they're trying to take that away so yeah the more armed people the better right I agree like I said we saw the the mall shooting uh, a couple months back where the citizen took the shooter out right. before the cops got there so it's it, you know it's a lot of people want to open carry me I'm along the lines of concealed I want to be an element of surprise right right and uh, I'm glad to see these stats. I'm glad to see we have some gun-toting Americans out here still supporting the Second Amendment. So I kind of wish that they would, um, you know, expound on that a little bit more in the news because you don't hear about people who are able to help in a situation like that. Yeah. And they are legally carrying a gun, and they do the right thing, and they're able to save lives. You know, sadly, that's not reported. Yeah, and Margaret Fisher and I were talking about that. They may get 30 minutes, or you'll see it, just a brief um, right. story of that, but they always want to relay on the negative right. when it comes to Second Amendment. They'll sit there and replay over and over somebody getting shot, but there's a lot of hero stories out there, and I agree with you. They need to elaborate more on that. Absolutely. Okay, well, y'all keep toting. Um, <laughs> Protect your family, Second Amendment. So we saw the other week uh, Trump was going to run again in 2024. He announced his presidential campaign, hopefully here in the next couple of years. So we'll see what happens. He was banned from Twitter. Um, Elon Musk has now taken over Twitter again and has reinstated him as <laughs> Trump. Uh, 
I was listening to a podcast a couple months ago, and he said, thank God Trump does not drink. Can you imagine him sitting on the toilet oh at 3 a.m. just ranting about Twitter? Just his random thoughts. Uh, what's your take on it? it that would indeed be <laughs> terrible because sober, he's off the cuff right. enough. But I'm glad to see him back. It's um, it's kind of comical to see what's going to come out next. But we did watch his um, speech that he gave saying that he was going to run again. And I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out because I am a DeSantis fan. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this, this rolls on. Yeah, yeah. Their it, commentary about each other has been, it's been comical. You know, Trump is a no hold barred. He's all in. He's going to let you have it. And DeSantis has been a little bit more reserved and... He's had some smart aleck comments, but they are very, very well put out. Like, you can catch the underlying. Yeah. It's like, oh, that was a slam. Yeah. And yeah. him bringing those immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, oh, I, I loved best. it. That it was, was great. the best. <laughs> <laughs> and Kamala Harris's house, they, I, I loved it. Uh, when I was doing my podcast last week with Mr. J, he's like, he, he's not a Trump fan, but he said, I will say his... His speech about his campaign was very presidential. He didn't bash anybody. So he's like, you know, he just got to polish it up a little bit yeah. and try to get the support. He's, the, he's a businessman. He's yeah. not, he's not a politician. No, no, you know, you know, it's, it's no holds barred. And right. One thing I do admire about him though, are these, these other countries were scared of us Absolutely. when he was in office. That's one thing I admire about him. And you can talk all the crap you want about Trump, but he did get those two Supreme Court justices in there too. That's right. Which has changed a lot of stuff. So love him, hate him. You know, who cares about your feelings? I mean, he's hey, Trump, Trump's going to be Trump. I liked my gas prices whenever he was <laughs> I, president. I like my gas better. prices, food prices. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm interested to see what's uh, what's going to happen with that. Um, President Joe Biden turned Bless. 80 the other day. Bless his heart. <laughs> Showing every sign, dementia, possibly. Something. Yeah. Um, I think it's embarrassing. I think it's embarrassing for this country. They keep letting him get on stage. And to me, it's hourly abuse. <laughs> it is. Um, it's sad for it, our president to, I mean, he's made a mockery. Yes. I mean, I think we, we did a pretty good job of making a mockery of Trump, but he brought it on himself. And now you have poor Joe Biden. And I think that there is some, you know, age-related stuff going on. And so it's kind of, it's mean. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. It's elderly abuse. You know, what is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say three words. And it's just like, please. When the teleprompter's off, he can't. He can't answer, and it's, no. he's been seen on camera turning around, shaking, and people's hands are not there. And there was one I saw the other day where Kamala had to pull him back. He was about to walk off the stage at a um, conference, but it's—I I mean, I, I think it's embarrassing. It is. It, it's, it's embarrassing as a country. Yeah. Um, I think about other leaders in other countries, and they say, "Oh, he's going to have a meeting with you know so and so," and I—I I honestly think to myself. Gosh, I hope he doesn't do anything crazy. Well, it kind of goes back to what we just said, though. I mean, when Trump was in office, countries did not fear us, I don't think, at the time. But when you have these other leaders of countries see what we're seeing and we're the citizens, I mean, it's it's Joe. 
Right. And, you know, it's who's going to be there for the citizens. It makes you put doubt in your mind sometimes. Absolutely. So, um, happy birthday, Joe. I uh, hope it was great. Uh, please just, it, it's awful. We'll, there, I'm sure there'll be some more comedy routines here here with him, but we'll, we'll see what happens with that. This is hard. All right. Um, I'm an avid Yellowstone fan. Season five premiered two weeks ago. Um, if you have not watched that, you might want to turn your radio down just for a few seconds. Uh, Scarlett, what's your take on it so far? So Yellowstone I, in general and then the premiere. <laughs> what's going on so far? So I am not a Yellowstone fan. Okay. I um, Yellowstone is a, it's a soap opera. It, it reminds me of, and I'm going to date myself here, it reminds me of Dallas. If you know what Dallas is, then you're dating yourself as well. But um, my husband is a huge fan of Yellowstone, and it is recorded. We He cuts it on without fail. And um, I sometimes get sucked in a little bit as I'm doing stuff. I can hear the television going, and I might pop my head around. I'm like, what just happened? Yeah. Well, what did she do? And I know he, I know it annoys him, bless his heart, but he yeah. is, he does really good with, you know, giving me a brief synopsis of what just happened. Um, but yeah, I'm not a huge Yellowstone fan. I like my 45 minutes and done and Yellowstone, you have to watch the next episode to see what's going to happen. Favorite character, worst character. I want to love Beth. Like yeah. I really want to love Beth, but she is such a horrible person. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, I don't know. She has reason to be mad, though. She she does, but, gosh, she's, she is wicked. And when she she drinks and she rips these men, a yeah. new one. I don't, I can't, I think it was the last one or either the, the second to last one. And some guy approached her and she's like, don't make me hurt your feelings or something along those lines. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's so cool. How <laughs> That was terrible. Uh, from what I've seen so far, I think Monica and her son are competing for the Oscar. Monica, in my, from what I found out, she's from South Carolina, yes. and I told somebody the other day, we've ranked 46 in ed education. I think acting's right up there with it because she, she sucks the life out of the show, and I hope she goes to the train station. I hope they get her there. I, I try to tell myself, okay, they're making her this way because that's what they want their character to yeah. portray. But she literally is the most depressing person on the show. Yeah, she sucks the life out of the show. She, I mean, I, granted, they kidnapped her son and all that, but she's, I mean, and then last week she fell on the floor and started cutting her hair. And I'm like, stop, just just quit. <laughs> it, it's too much. Like you're it's going too over, much you're, drama. You're, like, you're going overboard. Go get drunk and, and tear somebody <laughs> and do it in the bar. <laughs> Be yeah. more like that. Get up off the floor. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I do think this is my prediction. I'm saying this now. Um, last week they had that attorney. Uh, I was going to meet up with Jamie. And uh, they've paid her to come pretty much entice Jamie. I think I think Beth and them's going to get a, a rude awakening this season. So we'll we'll see what happens. That's my prediction. Maybe I don't I don't I think um, I absolutely love Rip. Okay. And so I don't know. Maybe a Hail Mary. He's going to come in and save the day, and they're yeah. going to throw Jamie off the camp. Well, he did. Somewhere. He saved he saved the dad's life last season when they yeah. came and shot up everybody. But uh, he's like the silent hero in the background. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, just a disclaimer, do not watch it with your kids, but it's a very, <laughs> Please don't. very great show, very good, good TV. It's been some of the best TV I've seen in a while. Um, so stay tuned for that. We'll keep you updated on that. When I was preparing this episode, I talked with Scarlett um, last night through text, and uh, she's a fan of On Patrol. <laughs> On Patrol. Um, so I'm going to let you take it away for a minute and tell me what you like about On Patrol. Oh, my goodness. So my Friday night and Saturday night consist of we have to be home so I can watch it. I... Um, we found a way to watch it online, but I cannot pause it. I cannot rewind it. Yeah. I cannot fast forward it. So it's nine o'clock. Don't talk to me. Friday and Saturday. Hit, hit me up between the commercials yeah. because I've got to see what's about to happen. And I don't know if it's because they're here in Richland County. We see so many places that we recognize. And I have even seen a couple that people that I recognize, unfortunately. Um, and then, you know, we have Berkeley County and, and the officers down there are pretty awesome. Yeah. So I, I just enjoy it. It's, it's the excitement that, uh, that that's the excitement in my life at this point in time. I think that is probably really sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I love it and uh, I'm not the one out there getting in trouble. So, well, the thing that amazes me, though, is if they didn't have Berkeley County and Richland County, they'd have no show. Absolutely. None. A, a huge percentage, majority of that film and footage comes from this state, which is very alarming. It's sad. Richland County looks like a complete war zone. It's terrible. Yeah. And honestly, I hope people look at it and say, we are not moving to South Carolina. Yeah. Keep your politics in your state. It's horrible yeah. here. It's, it's bad. Um you do not want to live here. No, yeah, I mean the people are nice, but still, I some, mean, of it's, some of them are nice. But if they if they didn't have Berkeley originally, they no. wouldn't have a show. No. I mean, it's it's amazing to me. I'm like, how much footage we were able to give them. Richland County is they could do their own Berkeley show. Too. Um, I haven't been a faithful watcher of it, but the the ones I like so far, I like the um, I like the female deputy in Berkeley, the, the corporal. Yes. Black female. She's, yes. she's, she's really good. She's so awesome. Very professional. Um, and then we talked about the, the host on the beginning of the, uh, the program. Um, Poor I'm Dan. not a Dan Abrams fan. <laughs> I, 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 it could be a shooting and he would be the Mr. Rogers. It just sucks the life. Be like, well, that's awful. That's horrible. Like, let, let's you, take well, a that break. That was aggressive. Yeah that, yeah, that was aggressive. That was harsh. Like, thanks, Dan. We know that. We don't need a commercial break. We want to see what's going on. We're trying commentary. to cover everything. Um, so you told me you're a, a Sticks fan. Yes, I am. Just he is very, very nice looking man. Um, there is some things that he has done that is kind of like, oh, well, he's not as good looking as he used to be, but you know, just, just in looks only what? he's, um, he's an interesting fella and going and reading his backstory and kind of what he went through with his family and things like that. You know, you have to admire someone who tries to do the right thing. Well, I will say when he was on live PD, I remember there was a, uh, a call where a, a guy got shot. You could tell he was a gangster. 
but he was very passionate about what he did. Like the dude right. was shot on the ground and he like was sitting there holding that guy's hand. He's right. like, look, I'm trying to help you. Tell me, tell me, give me something to work with. And right. I, I think the guy may have gave, given up a name or something like that, but he, he was very passionate. And I, it, it, I admired and respected um, him on these calls, but yeah. Um, he's, a, he's a silver fox. Friday and Saturday nights, huh? Yes. Yes. PD, on, excuse me, on patrol now. On, on patrol, patrol now, yes. Now, I read an article the other day, Live PD, or a, it was originally on A&E. Right. Live PD is trying to sue on patrol because they're saying it's stealing the same, it's the same people that were on, on, on Live PD, and they're trying to come after them and sue them because they're like, you still have the same idea we do, you just named it something else. And Isn't, you know, that, it, isn't that what every, half yeah, of the world like, does? Yeah, it's like cops and everything yeah. else, so... What is, that? Um, is that between Rills and Annie? I think so. I, it was in one of the um, newspapers I was reading the other day, but on uh, Live PD is trying to sue, I don't know if it's necessarily them, I think it's A&E, was trying to sue Rills for stealing their idea, and they have the same people that was on um, Live PD. That's, that I, I'm going to be uh, watching that, because that's very interesting. I know whenever the, first, that whenever the show first started, they... Um, some really wonderful people were putting it on YouTube for me. Yeah. And so it had, I don't know, like millions of views. And yeah. um, then you saw everyone, like it was gone. And well, they the, said that they had been sent letters from Reels saying, cease and desist, you better take this off or we are going to pursue you legally. And I was like, holy cow, that's pretty passionate. From what I was told, though, the original reason Live PD was canceled was because of all the riots were going on and they were scared for everybody's safety. But you want the footage, you don't mind putting it out there for everybody to see it. No, show them everything. Right. Show them the people protesting, show them the people cussing them out, right. throwing rocks at them, and we're just supposed to sit there and hug them and kumbaya. If you want on patrol, you want on, on you know, you get want to see on. everything, get it all. The good, the bad, and the ugly, maybe people's perspective will change. If you're breaking the law, you've you've put yourself in this position. Right. You know, right. I mean, there, there are a few instances where you are completely wrong place, wrong time, but that is so rare. I mean, yeah, maybe you shouldn't even be in that area. Yeah. And, you know, so, Hey, you want to do the crime? You got to serve the time. All right. I could talk about cop stories all day. <laughs> all right. Let's go ahead and get into this podcast. So, me and Scarlett grew up together. I've known Scarlett since they've been born. Um, we grew up together, go to church together. We've holidays. Our family's been on vacation together. Her parents and my parents just celebrated their 40th anniversary. Comes from a great family, good upbringing. Uh, lots of brothers and sisters. It's like the Waltons at their house. There's so many kids. Um, but yeah, I, I truly admire and respect Scarlett. She had went through some stuff a couple years ago. I'm not going to take away from her story. I'm going to let her tell y'all her story here in just a minute. But um, one of the strongest people I know, uh, I was tearing up a little bit going through her Facebook page last night, just going back and looking at all the memories from stuff that happened years back. But she is a fighter. Um, I, before, before you start, this is what I have on here. I was looking through your Facebook last night, and this is what's below your picture. Your Facebook reads the following. Fighter, wife, mother daughter, sister, friend, survivor. More to my story than what you see. So what I want you to do is take it away, tell everybody what's your story, who you are from beginning to end, and then we'll uh, 
you some questions here at the end. I might tear up a little bit. So whenever I put that um, on my social media, uh, I think it may have been approximately 2015 or 2016. And um, that is truly the mentality that I had. Um, like you said, we've known each other our whole lives. I mean, your parents, I mean, they're family. Y'all are family. Um, in 2014, well, I guess I should back it up a little bit. In 2013, uh, I started having some symptoms and um, s stuff that, you know, people don't talk about. And um, it's, it's related to pooping. You know, nobody wants to talk about the poop. Sure. That's, that's embarrassing. Sure. So, uh, and I was 28 years old. That's especially embarrassing for a young woman who is professional and all that good stuff. We don't talk about that kind of stuff. So um, I ignored a lot of things that I was facing and dealing with and discounted it because one, I was busy. I was a single mom. I just met the man of my dreams. I had this wonderful job. Everything was gravy. Everything was going my way. And um, in 2013, I started having some stuff, you know, things that you were supposed to look for, you know, blood in your stool, abdominal cramps, um, something called ribbon poop, uh, just a lot of stuff. Uh, I was sick. I couldn't keep any food down. It was just, you know, there was always a pressure. Um, so, but not anything that I even knew, you know, I, I just thought this is something embarrassing. This is probably hemorrhoids or, you know, I'm but you, constipated. But you wasn't a weightlifter? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> only, right. only if it was like in a can. <laughs> there you go. Maybe, you know, like one of the little martini glasses. But um, no, I was not. And uh, I was too busy to take notice of any of that. And I, I actually did go and visit um, my doctor at the end of 2013. And she did an ultrasound and she said, well, I think I see something right here, but uh, come back in a couple months and let's look at it again. And this was October of 2013, uh, thereabout. And I heard- Can I stop you real quick? Yeah. What was the time frame? though? How long did you wait before you went to get, go to the doctor, do you, do you remember? Oh yeah, over a year. So you had signs for yes. almost a year? Yes, before. If, if not if not longer, yes. Okay. I mean, I I was busy and um, I, I didn't have time to, you know, when you're busy, you can discount anything, especially whenever it's your health. Yeah. And if I could tell anyone anything now, it's like, don't discount it. Yeah. because it almost cost me my life right and um but you know i did and here we are so uh in 2013 i kind of mentioned something um to my boyfriend at the time he's he's my husband now but um you know i said i, I think something might be wrong i'm not really sure what's up and i didn't really tell him everything because we'd only been seeing each other for a very short time sure and and so when I did go and see the doctor, she said, I think, and maybe, and come back and see me. And it's right before Thanksgiving and it's right before Christmas. And I didn't go back because so I was busy. When you went the first time though, what, 
you were just telling the doctor there's blood in my stool. Right. And what? I don't even, I honestly, Nick, I don't remember if I told her as much as that. So when, if you have blood in your stools, especially if it's dark blood, you know, all the blood is different. Sure. But if it's, if it looks like dark old blood, this is a problem. That's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> like you should not be passing blood. And so, um, but I don't think I went into enough detail. Um, my boyfriend was with me and um, this is embarrassing that I'm even having to do this. Yeah. I am 28 years old. I don't want to talk about this. Let's just hurry up and get this over with so I can get back to living my life. And um, sadly, it's, uh, it, it stole a lot of my life because I wasn't upfront and honest about yeah. what I was going through because I was embarrassed. And unfortunately, there wasn't really a whole lot of information out there um, about people my age and colon cancer. Right. You know, that's old people get cancer, not people who are in their 20s and think they have their life together. Sure. So um, she said, I think and I believe and come back and see me. And I said, OK, <laughs> I'll see you later. And then in um, April of 2014, I. Uh, it had got to a point where it was bad. I had lost a lot of weight and I kind of discounted that, you know, because as a young lady, you're always trying to lose weight, especially me. So I was just like, oh, okay, well, not a big deal. But it had got to a point where I wasn't eating because I wasn't able to pass any food. And if I did eat, I would immediately throw it back up. So once again, discounted, um, I worked at a nuclear plant and we were in the middle of an outage and you know, we just had so much going on. And then uh, one one evening, I think I was in Outage Central and I was so sick. And I was, I can't keep doing this. This is terrible. But this was about a year after you had seen the doctor the first time. This was probably about six or seven months. So I saw the doctor in maybe September, October timeframe of 2013. And then in April of 2014, I, I was done. Like so something had to give. When you said you were losing weight, like how much weight? I probably lost 20 pounds. Within a matter of what? The three or four months. Okay. And you wouldn't do anything different. You wouldn't really. I wasn't eating. <laughs> yeah, because you were throwing up everything. Right. So I didn't eat anything because what I didn't was, want to get sick. What was going through your mind then? Um, I honestly thought that, um, one, uh, maybe I have colitis or maybe I have you know, one of these, maybe have IBS, maybe it's hemorrhoids, maybe it's, you know, something that was embarrassing. I never, never, it never crossed my mind that I may have cancer. Right. Never. <laughs> like, I didn't even look that up. I just didn't. When you're 28, 29 years old, you don't think about that. Yeah. Especially when. Whole life ahead of you. Right. And I was relatively healthy. I'd never been in the hospital except to have my child. I'd never had stitches. I'd never had any broken bones. Like, right. you know. So that never crossed my mind. But in April of 2014, um, my boyfriend and we were laying in bed. And, you know, in the darkness, you I think you feel more free to talk. And I told him, I said, there's something wrong and I don't know what it is, but I have to go see a doctor. Okay. And he is, he's a, he's a problem solver. He's a go-getter. And so he was on it the next day and he's commented, he's like, I don't know who got you into who to see a doctor first, whether it was me or your mom, because once I opened up and told him about it that night, 
the very next morning on my way to work, I called my mom and I told my mom. And it was like, I was ready to talk about it because I, at that point, I knew something was wrong and something had to be done. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you knew in your heart of hearts and your gut this ain't right. Yeah, something's not, something's right. not right. Right. So um, that was in April of 2014. And I think within a week, I was able to get in and see a doctor. And um, they said, well, we can't do a colonoscopy on you for like three or four months. And uh, unless you're willing to go to like Two Notch Road or something to their other office or something like that, if you can do that's that. Rich, that's Richland County. We ain't going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to go. We're going to have a run with Danny Brown or something. <laughs> that's right. So um, I said, absolutely. I'm, I'm ready to get this over with. I got to get back to living. This is terrible. You know, I can't live like this. This is embarrassing. And so um, I said, yes, we can do it. I didn't even, I think I had to go Google what a colonoscopy was because, I mean, that's just not something that... Sure, you didn't think about it. No. And um, so we did the colonoscopy and they came out. Uh, My doctor, he wasn't even able to finish the scope because the mass in my colon was so large, it had almost completely obstructed, which was why I was throwing everything up. So... You didn't wait the three or four months. Was it like no. the following day, following week? It was so with the colon, you have to do the colon colonoscopy prep, which is, I want to say two days. And, um, or at that point in time, I think they've changed it a little bit. But in 2014, um, you know, you, you can't eat anything and then you have to do this prep so you can clean out your body. And it was that Friday. So I want to say I met with him on Monday or Tuesday. I'd, actually, I'd have to go back and look at my records. But um, it was that Friday. And, uh, I, we had actually made plans the next day. We were, I think we were going to the lake or something. And, uh, that's something that we enjoyed doing was going out on the lake with our friends. And so, um, he was not able to finish the scope. And whenever you come out of a colonoscopy, you're a little bit loopy. And so, um, he came in and he said, uh, you have a mass and you're going to get testing done right now. And I said, well, just take it out because we have plans tomorrow. And um, he said, no, (laughs) that's not how this works. And I was still loopy. But as soon as we left there, we actually went straight over for testing and scans and stuff like that. So... That was the beginning of, I guess that was the end of one chapter and the beginning of a new chapter. So when you had, he couldn't complete the colonoscopy. So what did he say at that point? He said that it is cancer. He said. Right away. That's what he said. Right away. And I, you know, I'm still in my, you know, Michael Jackson drug induced state. And I was just not it wasn't registering it wasn't like computing in my mind this is what's happening right now like i it still feels like even all this time later it still feels like i've been living someone else's life because this was not my plan and um i was i was floored i was shocked was your mom there with you or no mike? mike was with me yes he was with me thank god because he was immediately he was able to take charge and he's like you're going to do this right now because I probably would have just went and sat in the car because 
this is not happening. Yeah. And I already had it eaten, you know, because you had to prepare for the colonoscopy. And then they said, well, you have to have these scans done. You can't eat anything. So, you know, you get kind of hangry. And I was just, I was floored. I was absolutely floored. Well, I can imagine the shock from that when the doctor tells you at 28 you have cancer. What, uh, how long I was 29. 29. Right. So I had turned 29. Um, I think I had turned 29 the following birthday. So, but I started having symptoms when I was 28. So when they told you that, do you remember what was your first thoughts, I guess, in your mind? Cause I knew you had your child then. Yes. What, uh, what was your what was your mindset? How long did it take for you to grasp like what, what was just <laughs> being told? I mean, was this? A, I don't honestly, Nick. I don't think it sunk in for two or three years. Honestly, after it was all over. Yes, so, after I was diagnosed, I knew my son was six or seven at the time, and I I try to stay a pretty positive person. Sure. And so my mentality was okay. We'll take it out. I have stuff to do. Take it out. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure your listeners know a little bit about cancer. Sometimes it's not that easy. Sure. Yeah. And um, but my mentality always was, I mean, throughout the whole thing, I never thought about giving up. I never thought about this is going to kill me. There were times where I knew I had to prepare, but we're all just living to die. You know, and, but you don't really take that into consideration until you're told you have terminal cancer. Well, when he said that and they couldn't do the colonoscopy and he said you had cancer, what did he say the next step was going to be? I had to go and have scans done to see how advanced. So I needed to have CT, needed to have MRI, needed to have blood work done. Um, all this stuff that I never even heard of, I didn't know anything about. I don't think I really even understood it. I'm so thankful for my husband because he was just, he was on the ball. He's a fixer and he was just so efficient in making sure, Hey, she's here. Right. She not, she might not be here mentally, but I promise you she's here and she's on board because I don't think it really even, it didn't sink in for a long time. And I was so busy for two or three years looking in the rear view mirror, wishing that I could have my life back before I got cancer that I, you know, the first couple of years seemed like a blur now. Um, you know, you look back and you, you realize different things after the fact. So I'm assuming when the scans came back, it's like, you know, this is a lot larger than what we thought. Yes. So yes. what was there? So at that point, I, they said, um, I, I'm, and I'm, I'm sorry, honestly, after so many chemotherapy treatments, my mind is not clear. But, and I can't remember if they staged it then or if they staged it after my surgery. Um, they said, you have to have this mass removed and it's in the lymph nodes and it's in your liver. So when it has gone to another organ, it is stage four. And, you know, here I am, 29 years old. I've never been in the hospital. I've never had tests. I've never had blood work. I've never had any of these things done. And um, so that was like, I want to say April 23rd or April 24th. And by May 4th, I was in the hospital having my surgery. So it had moved from the colon to the liver. Yes. Yeah, stage four liver yes. cancer. 
Well, it's still considered colon, colon cancer. cancer but, right. It's still considered right. colon cancer. Even though it went to my liver, it's still considered colon cancer. What were they telling you then? They said, you know, were they giving you a life expectancy if you, I mean, when, you know, as far as the liver, so Scarlett, if we remove your liver, this is what we're saying you have. So they can't remove your liver. You will die. I mean, I'm sorry. The, the, remove the, uh, they're going to remove the mass. The mass. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're, so. fine. You're fine. You're fine. It does regenerate itself. But. Yeah. 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 Um, so they went in and they removed the mass. Um, they took the lymph nodes. And the intention was to go ahead and take whatever portion of the liver that they felt like had cancer. But once my surgeon got in there, the amount of cancer on my liver was too much. And he said, there's no way I can take it. We're going to have to change gears. So, um, and I have the Mac daddy oncologist of South Carolina. And if I could encourage anyone, if you have been diagnosed with anything, whether it's cancer or you know anything else go get second opinions get a third opinion get a fourth opinion get a fifth opinion we went to so many different places and my oncologist was the push he was go go see what other people are doing he said you know i have been doing this a long time but this is changing every single day and even my research girls can't keep up with how fast new stuff comes out and I talked to so many different people and their comment is, well, I really like my oncologist or I trust them or I'm happy where I'm at. And sadly, we have lost some people that, you know, that we've become very close to because they refused to go and get another opinion. Right, right. And my doctor, he's the first one. He said, go wherever you want to go. I will help you get there. Whatever they say, we can help facilitate it here because I want to do everything I can to help you live. And I think that's the most important thing. I think whenever you are diagnosed with anything, you get put into a box. You have colon cancer, or you have liver cancer, or you have kidney cancer, and this is the box you go in, and this is how we're going to treat it. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes things can get lost in that shuffle. So at this time, though, they had put you on chemo, right. chemotherapy. So they did the surgery, and my doctor came in, and I haven't really asked anyone how long I had. I, and honestly, I don't even remember if I looked it up because that wasn't really my mindset. But after surgery, my doctor came in, and I said, well, how long do I have? It's stage four cancer. What was his response? He said, oh, my God, I can't tell you how long you have. <laughs> he said, you have as, you know, as long as God gives you, that's what you have. And I know you, you're not even the answer you wanted to hear. Well, I was just like, okay. They, they didn't put a statistic on me. Yeah. I'm not a statistic. <laughs> right. You know? And because often when you hear stage four, you are a statistic. You are... You know, you have maybe one to two years. If you make it five years, you are really doing well. Yeah. And so, but when he told me that, I just was like, okay, I have as long as I need. I have as long as I'm willing to fight. Yeah. And that's the mentality I took. And there were some days I didn't want to keep going, but I got up and I did. I had a little boy who was watching every move I made. And I knew that if anything did happen, I wanted him to have 
positive memories of his mom and know that you can face anything that comes against you with the right kind of attitude, positive, you know, there was never any excuse for it to be a bad day. Right. Walk us through chemotherapy. What does that consist of? What? what Hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had my surgery in May of 2014 and I started chemotherapy on June 2nd of 2014. It's my brother's birthday. And um, I had kind of, you know, your imagination is always worse than the actual thing, nine times out of 10. And I, it was in my mind, it was going to be absolutely terrible. And it absolutely was. And um, what, what does that consist of? Like, what is chemotherapy? So uh, typically you will get a cocktail and it could be a combination of, you know, intravenous. Um, it could be oral. It could be uh, both. Um, but usually depending on what type of cancer you have, you know, you see some people, they lose their hair. Some people don't lose their hair. Um, and it you, just, you never did. My hair got really thin. On one of yeah. the drugs that I was on, my hair got really thin. Yeah. So you did, but it wasn't show. I mean, the years I've known you though, I, I never for start balding and all that. I yeah. never, I never saw that mm -hmm. on you. So. I hit, I hit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am very, very fortunate and very blessed that a, only one of the drugs that I was on, it, it caused a lot of hair thinning. Um, and by the time we got to 2019, I was, I was looking pretty, uh, I had a, a what's the Joe Dirt look because, the yes, I had a mullet because my hair had kind of thinned on the sides and, you know, I, I was rocking the mullet unintentionally. Um, but, you know, thankfully, I didn't, especially at the first, because honestly, I don't know mentally. I mean, it's, it's so hard as it is. And for the people that I know, losing your hair is just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, there were times where I would sit in the shower and you would see all the hair and you just, you just cry because right. there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. You have to tell yourself, okay, this is just temporary. This yeah. is not forever. It's My hair. result. Right. right. This is a means to an end. My hair is going to grow back. And the people who know and love me just want me to be present. Right. You know, whether yeah. I have hair or not. Yeah. It, my son doesn't care if I have hair or not. He wants me to come to his baseball he game. He wants them all. Right. He don't care about that. Right. And so I had to get in that mindset, like, this is what is important. I can't focus on this other stuff because this is just temporary. It's a means to an end. Right. And I have to get through this so I can get to this point. That's right. So going back to the chemotherapy, you take the cocktail and what else happens? So for me, I was on a drug that I would go and sit in the infusion chair and um, we were there for maybe six, maybe seven hours, several long, long days, all day affair. And then I would get a pump and I would wear that pump for, uh, I'm sorry, I'd wear the pump for 48 hours. It's a slow drug drip and um, constantly going into my port. 48 hours, never forget the sound of that little whirring pump and beeping. I mean, it's, it gives me nightmares thinking about it. But I would wear it for 48 hours and then I would go back and they would remove it. So how long does a session usually last when you're doing that chemotherapy? And how often would you have to do it? So for that, um, 
I did chemotherapy several different times. I also had radiation and I had another procedure done called microwave ablation. Um, just because you, your body cancer is smart and it figures out it will mutate and figure out how to get around the drug. It adjusts and it comes back right. and the drug no longer works. And so, um, we had to do different types, different cocktails, different types of chemotherapy to try to keep things at bay. So the first time I did chemo was in 2014. I had radiation in 2015. I went back on chemotherapy in 2015. Um, we had microwave ablation in 2016. I went back on another type of chemotherapy in 2016. Um, we also had another another round of radiation. Um, and then from 2016 to 2019, I was on a drug and thankfully it did its job. Mm -hmm. And um, it was able to keep things in check. And then in 2019, we ran out of time. I mean, it just, it stopped working. And my body, I think my husband added it up, and I think we did over 150 rounds of chemotherapy. In that three-year period? Um, throughout, the, from diagnosis at 2014 to 2019. At the beginning of 2019 is whenever, it's the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, the drug wasn't working anymore. When you realized it wasn't working, what was the doctor saying at that point? He was really encouraging us to, um, you know, let's see if there's any trials, let's see if there's any immunotherapy, let's see if there's anything else out there. I mean, we were looking, my husband was looking at some type of experiment they were doing in Turkey. Um, you know, at that time, Trump had passed the Right to Try Act, and that means you have the right to fight for your life. You can, you know, nothing is withheld from you if you want to try to live. And that was encouraging for us because we felt like, okay, a lot of times when you get to this point, it's like, okay, here's hospice. Good luck. Right. Get your affairs in order. And I wasn't ready for that. I think over time that you kind of get to a point by, by the spring of 2019, I had kind of resolved in my mind, you know, Lord, you've given me this time. And my son is now, you know, 12, 13 years old. He is old enough to make decisions about where he wants to be. He's kind of old enough to kind of care for himself. Um, and I'm okay. If, if it's time, I'm okay. Right. You know, you kind of, when you lose, and I'm using air quotes, when you lose your fight with cancer, you know, if you look at that as losing, then you're living for the wrong thing because... You know, if you have a relationship with God, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. You're not losing; you're winning. You, sure. you just beat everyone else to the end. Sure. You know, and knowing that, it kind of just gives you a different piece about things. You know, I had resolved that in my mind, and you know, as much as we don't want to leave the people we love, I was okay with that because I knew he was going to be okay. Sure. So. Um, well, let's. So when liver still deteriorating at this point. And uh, was the doctor telling you to try to find donors at this point? No. So. What was the bottom of the. So, um, I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in 2014. And at that point in time, getting a liver transplant 
was not something that was even like this unheard of, especially for something, someone like me. So, um, you know, sometimes you can be a candidate for a transplant, you know, like maybe if you have kidney cancer, you can get a new kidney, or if you have liver cancer, you might be able to get a new liver. Um, but because mine was colon cancer, which is secondary would be my liver, getting a transplant for my liver was unheard of. So, um, in 2019, we went to Sloan Kettering in New York and my husband, he's so incredible. He does all this research and he's a fixer. And he said, I had a five year plan, but our five years are up. We gotta figure out something new. And uh, he looked at this thing in Turkey and we're like thinking about how we're gonna be able to finance this going to Turkey. Yeah. And so, you know, thankfully we didn't have to do that. But we went to Sloan Kettering in New York and Mike had kind of figured out, okay, maybe they could do this really extreme, um, you know, liver surgery where they remove 80% of her liver because I had so many tumors on my liver. And, you know, if it's confined to one lobe, you know, just one side, they could go in and do what's called a lobectomy because your liver regenerates itself, um, meaning it'll grow back. Sure. But there was too much cancer. And the thought was, if we do the surgery, she's not gonna survive. She's not gonna have enough liver to even survive. So either the cancer is gonna kill her, lack of liver is gonna kill her. You know, it's, you know, you're not gonna win. Right. So um, we met with the surgeon there and he said, I cannot help you, but I think I know about someone I know something, excuse me, I know about a new procedure that you might be a candidate this for. This is what the guy said in New York. Right, a Sloan Kettering. And we're like, okay, what is it? You tell us. And um, he gave me a slip of paper, and I want to say it had three or four phone numbers on it. And he said, call these places. They're doing something called a living donor liver transplant. Okay. Mike knew a little bit about it because he's the researcher, and so he knew that that was kind of on the horizon. Um, so we came back home to South Carolina. He said, in the meantime, we have to get your liver stable. We have to stop the cancer because it's growing. And, um, so at this point in time, we want to, uh, put her on every single cocktail that she's been on chemotherapy cocktail. We're going to do it all at one time. So we are throwing the kitchen sink at her and we're hoping something sticks. And so when we got back, we started really aggressive chemotherapy and that was uh, took a toll yes i was done <laughs> i was like okay i'm i'm ready this yeah. this is not it's hard it's not working no it's really hard and you know i think the one thing it, it is hard but it is worth it yeah. i mean you know so and i also had a son who was Still looking for mom. Right. Willing you right. to be that person. That's right. So I think, you know, our kids are our biggest motivation. Sure. You know, they they need us in our minds. We think they need us. So um, we came back home. We got aggressive. And I called all these places that he'd given me the phone number to. And um, I think one or two of the numbers had been disconnected. I left messages. And um, but the people, the numbers they gave you, they were out of New York or they were, they were all over the place. So one of them was um, Rochester, Strong Memorial. Um, another one, I think, was based in Florida. Um, the other one was the Cleveland Clinic. 
Um, I actually left a message there. I talked to someone and they never contacted me again. So I was like, well, I guess I, it, I don't, I don't know what happened with that. Um, but the place in Florida, they, that number was disconnected and the place in Rochester, I left a message for someone there. So this was like February of 2019 and, um, we came back home. We got aggressive with chemo. May, approximately end of April, May of 2019, we got to a point where this isn't working. Like we have to get aggressive. How long is this going to hold out? Physically, she can't handle it. And, you know, mentally I was tired. It'd been a long five years. Yeah. No, that would take a toll on anybody. You know, I, and I had tried to stay positive and... You know, am I just being greedy at this point? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been so blessed and so fortunate. And, and you know, so we got aggressive. And I called Rochester again. And the doctor got on the phone and he said, I know who you are. And I said, excuse me? I don't think so. We've never spoken before. And he said, no, I know exactly who you are. He said, I know your whole story. I was like, what is this? Like, Twilight Zone. Yeah. I was like, I don't think so. Um, pinch yourself. Yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't think so. He said, yeah. He said, I just got back from a conference out West and the doctor from Slim Kettering, Dr. D'Angelica told me all about you. This is like several months later. Yeah. And he just got back. But originally you had called and there was no answer. Right. I left a message yeah. and I, I believe they said, you know, send us all your records. We'll take a look at it. You know what I mean? One of those things. So this is, it was so new and so fresh and they were just starting to get this program up and running. I want to say I was the second one that they had at their hospital. Um, I want to say I may have been like the fourth in the USA. The living donor program. Living donor liver transplant for stage four colon cancer. And there had only been two people prior to this or maybe four in the whole country that had had this procedure done. In the USA. In the USA. So other countries had kind of started doing this. um, And how many had he done? I'm not 100% sure. That's a my question. He, so at this hospital, I was going to be the second or the third at this hospital. Okay. So I think originally I was going to be the second, but because we had to wait, I wound up being like the third, maybe the fourth. Uh, honestly, Nick, I'm sorry. I can't remember. No. I'd have to go back and look. Um, it's just interesting. I mean, so this he, was something fairly he, new. He came, um, he came from Canada to start this program in New York. And um, he's, he's my hero. He's, I mean, there's a lot of people that I really respect and love at this point in time that have sacrificed for my family and I, and... What was his name? Dr. Alejandro Hernandez. Okay. And, uh... Shout out to you. Yes, exactly. And so, um, he was so amazing. He said, I know who you are. And I got off the phone with him and I looked at Mike and I said, he's going to save my life. And you felt it. You knew it. Yeah, I knew it. Like, as soon as he said, you know, I know your story, like, everything just felt like it's a miracle. Wound up. Yeah, this guy knows who I am. He's ready for me. Yeah. And so um, we talked and we met. And I told him, I said, you know, you don't have to cure me. I'm not looking for a cure. I'm not even looking for, you know, healing. I just want to be able to live a few more years and see my son graduate high school. 
I, I just want to see it out. And yeah. I know that I've been blessed with five years, but I'm greedy and I would like approximately four more. That's what you want to see. <laughs> right. And so, and he looked at me and he said, I might be able to give you more than that. And, you know, Mike is the planner. He says, we need to check with other places. I said, no, this is it. This is him. He's going to save me. He, th this guy is. The hallelujah core star Yes, plan. yes. The it's like all the angels like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we came back home and um, we started looking for a donor. And we put out something on social media in the summer of 2019 saying this is what we need. Um, this is the perimeters we cannot be involved please contact strong please contact rochester here's the number tell them that you want to be considered for this and it's not like you're asking for blood because yeah. this is a major this is one of the most intense surgeries and it's approximately you know 15 16 hours long well that was while you're talking about that, that was one of the questions i mean when they put that out they have to go through a lengthy process as well to make yes. sure that they cross all the T's and dot yes. all the I's that this is going to be compatible with what you need. Right. Right. Yeah. And at that point, you know, whenever you think about, at least for me, when I think about a donor, I'm thinking like a kidney and it's, it's not quite so simple. Um, they look at, you know, your lifestyle or you a party or, you know, has your liver been put through the ringer? You know, what, yeah, what sure. are you bringing to the table? What's your blood type? And at that point in time, I thought that probably a family member would be the most likely donor because we would be so similar in DNA. And blood type, right, everything. Right. And so, but that's not always the case. And um, we put the information out there. We could not be involved. If they wanted to do that, they do this, wanted to donate. They needed to contact Rochester at Strong. And so we put all that out there and they, um, people started calling. I mean, I was absolutely floored. I think and this was summer of 19? Yes. And by that time I had, I had to leave work. It had gotten to a point where I was, I was too sick. I worked the entire time with a few exceptions. Um, kind of kept me going. It gave, it felt normal. I'm going to stop you right there. If, if you know Scarlett, Scarlett's kind of person, she's not going to sit. She's got to stay busy. She's, yes. she's, she's, I, I remember you going to work. They're like, how in the hell do or excuse me, beep. How in the heck do you, uh, keep going to work and keep doing it, but Scarlett's going to stay busy. It was, um, it was my normal zone. It felt normal. It was a space that was, I wasn't the girl with cancer. I was the girl who had a job to do. Right. And you know, there were times that I would crawl into work. I laid in the bathroom floor at work and wondered how in the world am I going to get out to my car and get home? I right. called my husband. I've called my mom from work and been like, just, talk to me. I feel so sick. I, I don't even know if I can drive home. And, you know, looking back, I'm just like, what in the world was I thinking? Yeah. But, you know, at that point in time, it gave me purpose. It felt normal. It felt like it was You've just, been with it for five years. This was right, an everyday thing. Right. Right. Point. I mean, I went to work. I had my pump, you know, made sure the cord wouldn't get snagged on doorknobs. You know, that's an abrupt stop. But it just felt 
it felt like some normalcy in my life. So summer of 19, you put the post out saying this is what we need, contact Rochester, and what was the time frame? So their process, um, it has changed because of course, you know, they're always fine tuning something. It was a work in progress. So um, their process was they would work through each candidate. They would do the workup for each one and then whether that person needed additional um, testing, they would proceed with that or they would move on to the next one. Right. And so that was their process. They didn't look at all of the candidates and say, okay, well, this one looks best or this one looks best. Um, so we're going to go with this one. They would actually go through each one, start at the top and go down. So this was approximately June or July of 2019. And then, um, and, Whenever I posted it, within the first couple of hours of me posting it, it had been shared like over 30,000 times. It was insane, the amount of love and support. And I don't think people realize people want to help, but they don't know how. Right. And I felt so awkward asking for something like that. And my husband... Complete strangers. Right. And my husband said, he said, if you knew someone who needed help, would you help them? I said, Absolutely. He said, he said, why do you think other people don't feel the same way? So I was like, okay, well, you have a point and I kind of need help. (laughs) So that's, we put it out there and it was the outpouring of love and support was just incredible. I mean, people all over the world, not just in the USA, people in other countries were, you know, had family members here, what have you, and we're reaching out, you know, we're praying for you. We love you. Um, So we are still continuing throw in this kitchen sink at my liver, hoping that we can keep this cancer at bay because in order to have this procedure, you have to be stable. And we knew that my cancer was a little bit volatile. It had a mind of its own. So um, that August, things had started going in a a bad direction. My levels were starting to climb and that was one of the other prerequisites. also being stable, your levels have to be at a certain number or we're not going to do this. Right. So um, in August, um, my husband called up there and he talked to the, the people there and he said, she's out of time. You need to pick someone off paper and we need to move forward because if you don't, she's going to die. And at that point, though, had anybody met what they needed? I. Honestly, I'm not 100% sure because we couldn't be involved in that aspect. I, and I'm just going to tell you what I think. Um, I think that it had not progressed to that point with anyone else. I think it was just based on paper. They were going through paper, probably looking at medical records and what have you. But no one had gone up there for additional testing, um, as far as I know, from what I know. Um, Mike may know more. I actually kind of checked out because it was so disheartening to, you know, you talk to different people and like my sister and my mom, like we sent our information in. And then, you know, each time they're like, well, they're not gonna work. We may have a donor, we don't have a donor. We may have a donor, we don't have a donor. And I'm just like, it's a constant roller coaster. And my life had been a roller coaster for five years. So it just got to a point where it's like, you know what, Lord, I'm trusting in you, Mike's handling it. Yeah. And I'm just focusing on functioning and getting through this day. This moment, I'm going to just try to get through today. 
And thankfully, Mike was just, he was so on point and he was such an advocate for my life. I honestly don't think I would be here because, I mean, he loved me and made me fight when I didn't like myself, when I didn't want to fight, when I wanted to give up. He was there. Yes, he was there. Yes. Every single time. He said, Let's go. You're going to, you're going to chemo. I'd pull the covers over my head. He's, he's carrying me out, kicking and screaming. He's like, you're going, you can do this. You got right. this. Right. And, um, he was handling it and he said, she's out of time. You need to pick someone off paper and you need to move forward. Right. Um, we're going to take a break for a brief minute. Um, there is a hero also on the other side of Scarlett's story. And I'm going to let her tell y'all about him here shortly when we come back after this brief break. We'll come back in the second part. Now stay tuned. <laughs> 